you know, people, you know, what are you being a woman for? What do you mean? The women in my life were incredibly strong. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever Power Hour Live. Thanks, give it up. I'm very happy to be here and to be sharing this very important conversation in honour of Mental Health Awareness Week. So, and as we heard, you know, this space, this building, 22 Bishopsgate, is a brand new people-focused workplace and it's located in the heart of London. And for anyone who, you know, living in a busy city, working in a busy, busy city as well, can present challenges when it comes to finding balance for taking care of your physical health as well as your mental health. And as you know, if you've ever listened to an episode of The Power Hour, I am all about encouraging people to reclaim their time, um, even though it's very early early in the morning and to really prioritize their own well-being. So it's fantastic to be partnering with 22 Bishop Gate for tonight's event here. So first ever Power Hour Live. Let's kick it off. I'd love to introduce you first to the wonderful panelists. So First up, on the end, we have Melissa Hemsley. She is a best-selling cookery author and chef. Her most recent book, Eat Happy, celebrates quick and delicious everyday meals that put taste first. Melissa is passionate about indulgent food, comfort food, and the joy of dining with friends and family. She is the host of the Live Life Better podcast, and she is a proud supporter and volunteer for multiple charities, including the Princess Trust and UNICEF. Melissa. Thank you. Okay, we're also joined by Chris Connors. Chris is a leadership coach, meditation teacher of 20 years, and most recently, he is the founder and creative director of wellness innovation studio, Bbox. Chris was quoted in the Sunday Times as a leading voice in wellness and is renowned for his inspirational and innovative talks and wellness retreats around the world. Bbox curates uh, immersive products and places that combine combine the worlds of art, neuroscience and technology and are designed to empower mental and physical and emotional health in urban environments. Chris, sounds amazing. Hi everyone. And last but not least, we have Stephen Manderson, a.k.a. Professor Green, a rapper, singer, songwriter and actor who has received a number of awards, including an Enemy Award, a MOBO Award, an MTV Music Award. And he has also hosted a number of incredible TV documentaries as well. So please help me in welcoming Stephen and our wonderful panellists. Such a long intro today. I love to do the intro because I really love to, I guess, like really give context and like acknowledge people and go through the list of all the wonderful things they've done. And often people listen to the, the intro and the show. Melissa, you've been on the show. And they're like, oh gosh, like when you read it all out, it's, it's quite a lot. So, but yeah, I really appreciate you all giving us an hour of your time and being here this evening. So as I mentioned at the start, this week is Mental Health Awareness Week. And here in the UK, one in four people will experience a mental health problem each month. The Mental Health Foundation published a survey report in 2014 that highlighted the common mental health problems such as anxiety and depression, and the sad truth that one in five adults have considered taking their own life at some point. Clearly, this is a huge issue affecting so, so many people, and the modern world demands so much from us, and if you are living and working in a busy city like London, then it can be incredibly difficult to balance everything, create a lifestyle that really supports both your mind and body. So, Chris, I'd love for you to kick it off for us. You say that sometimes you have to get into the box to break out of it, so can you tell us what that means and why you created B-Box? Well... 
First of all, I'd like to say that, you know, I think mental health affects us all. And every, I'm sure, does everyone in here feel like they're mentally affected by their daily life? It's a stressful time in our existence. So, um, well, my, the phrase that I use a lot, sometimes you got into the box to break out of it, was actually because in, for my 20 years of uh, training and teaching and meditation, what I, what I realized was that, first of all, I'm the solution to a lot of my own problems. I'm quite often the resource that I need. And in order for me to actually find a way to get out of a lot of my own mental constructs, so I was a very academic guy, I was very performant, I was driven by success, and I crashed. You know, my worlds crashed a lot. And so for me, I realized that in order for me to really change and transform something mentally to get well, I had to go into the stuff that I didn't necessarily like to see or understand about myself in order for me to come out in, with a better view of the world and a better experience of life. So I created spaces that actually I believe are transformative. So the places that you can go to get the tools to go back out into your life and that your life will be better. That's fundamental. And, and for me, it starts with you, and it is you. And your mental health is a personal issue. And tell us about B-Box. Yeah. What is B-Box? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a new experience. So we, we are a studio that creates a transformative experiences. They're, they're impactful and immersive experiences in the city. And they're impactful because they work. Uh, they're, they, we use a lot of sound and light and technology to help you immerse your brain, your body, your heart in spaces that help balance you. And when you leave, technically, you'll, you'll feel well. You'll feel balanced and ready for whatever is out there that you, you need to meet. And um, we're doing it across London and across the world. We'll be building all different types of products and spaces, and they're coming. So uh, watch the space for our B-Works. Great. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. And so you've been working in the wellness industry for a number of years now. So how has the industry changed over, over that time, especially when it comes to encouraging people to engage in their mental health as well as their physical health? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would look at um, mental health pretty much like we look at our physical health. I would be checking into ourselves to really understand how we are. And luckily, now we have a lot of tools, a lot of everyday ways uh, to, to engage with that, to find ways to find solutions for ourselves. I'm really passionate about mental health because for me, as you can probably hear from my accent, I, I grew up in Belfast. And for me, it was a, a very difficult place to grow up. So uh, I believe that we need to understand our mental, physical, and emotional wellness on a really balanced level, but mental health is a key issue right now. And as you can see, the amount of suicide, and I'm sure we've been around this, uh, this issue a lot in our lives, you can see what's going on now. We need to really take care of ourselves. Do you think that it is changing? So, for example, you know, here in London, I definitely feel like, you know, it's more of a conversation. I feel like it's, you know, you can ask people about breath work, or about meditation, or about right. yoga, and they know what you're talking about. But do you think that outside of London that people are, I guess, as plugged into this stuff? They are. They're co it's coming, you know. I'm, I'm so happy in all the years, you know, when I started meditating, people thought I was really weird. <laughs> You know, and I would come back, I'd be feeling fantastic, and they go, you've changed. <laughs> you've really changed. There's something really weird about you. And I was feeling like, wow, I could weep and cry. I felt so good in my life. And they were like, you know, you've really changed. You're not partying with us anymore in London, you know. And so that was then. And now these conversations are so normal. Here we are in a panel talking about this stuff. I mean, at our age, at our generation, you know, what I'm really passionate about as well is mental health is not swept under the carpet, especially for men. It's something that we see as a kind of weakness or some kind of like, you know, it's not talked about. So I'm super happy that anything that brings it out or any tools that help us are there. Yeah, I completely agree. And so, Stephen, in 2015, you created a documentary, Suicide and Me, where you shared an intensely personal journey of your experience when your father ended his own life. So making that documentary must have been an incredibly difficult thing to do. Why was it so important for you to share your journey and what has the response been? Okay, so it began with a radio documentary that I did for the BBC on suicide, and the response to that was was huge, which was really bittersweet because it was incredibly positive how many people reached out and said they were affected by it, but also really sad for the exact same reason, you know, because they reached out because they were affected by it first or second hand. And it made me realise how huge this problem was. You know, it wasn't just my own personal experience with it. There's a hell of a lot of people that are suffering. And so when I was asked after that if I'd be interested in taking that or a similar narrative to, to film, it, you know, it was meant to be a broad take on male suicide, not my story and my journey, trying to discover why my dad did what he did initially. I said yes. 
And I quite naively said yes. I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into and what it was going to bring up and out of me, not least of all because it wasn't meant to be my personal story. Um, but halfway through filming, I was called into the BBC and they said the, the, the thread that really works here, the narrative that really works is, is your story. That's what people are really going to connect with. And so I threw my toys out the pram, as you do, um, and left and, and slept on it. And I, I really had to take you know, a little bit of time to think about what my reasoning for not wanting to do that was. And it, you know, I realized that my reason for not wanting to do it was the problem that most people have, and it was not wanting anyone to see me as vulnerable. I grew up in a place where weakness wasn't tolerated. You become prey. I was in an industry associated with a lot of bravado, rap music, um, irrespective of how emotive the music I was making at the time was, you know? And, um, and then I went, That's, you're the problem then. If you're not going to do it, you're contributing to the problem because you're hiding part of yourself. You're not being honest. You're not being transparent. And nothing's going to change. So I did the documentary, and it was incredibly hard. And, you know, I mean, I had a conversation with my grandmother. My grandmother, Nanny Pat, pulled me up. Um, and the first time we spoke, which was, it was nearly, it was over 10 years. You know, the first time we spoke about what had happened, apart from when she walked into my room and told me that my dad had hung himself, was on film. Gosh. It was difficult. But again, the response to it, there was, and you know, my worries and concerns were about myself. I wasn't even thinking beyond myself, which is incredibly selfish. Um, but the, there was no negative response. All my fears about people seeing me crying or thinking of me as weak, just that never materialized. And it made me realize that there's a real strength in, in being aware of what your weaknesses are and your vulnerabilities. And there's no harm in other people knowing them either because they can't hold them over you. You know, so it was, it was it was a hard journey and it was difficult, but it was definitely worth doing. And not least of all because of some of the response that I've had from it. You know, people have gone as far as to say, see, in that program. I remember one message in particular from a dad of three sons who had tried to take his own life twice before. And even though he's as close to his family as he is, he, you know, he said he watched that program and having seen what I had to live with afterwards, he could never do it again. Wow. wow, well, I think it's incredibly admirable. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think you're right, you know, sharing your own story. There's so much there's so much power in that, in that testimony and in, in invulnerability. And I think that we all need to continue this conversation more for people to, to, I guess, be able to also feel like they can speak out as well. So when it comes to people speaking out, finding help, I think can be the hardest bit, especially for men. So why do you think that, yeah, men particularly suffer in silence for so long? Why is it so hard for them to reach out? I think there's a lot of stiff British upper lip still sticking around. There's also a lot of being a boy and being told to be a man without ever being explained to what that is. I'm still working it out at 35. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's still, there's a lot of stereotypes and a lot of, a lot of gender-specific assumptions made as to what it is to be a man, you know, or to be a woman. And I think we need to do some work on breaking those down. Because I think there's a lot of things that apply to you irrespective of your gender. Yeah, I completely agree, especially as a mother of a young son. I, I can I completely agree with, you know, the 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 narrative and the, the toxic masculinity, all of those things, the gender stereotypes that I think, you know, they still exist. And as I said before about being in this London bubble, I think sometimes people think that there's massive change happening, but I think it's actually tiny, tiny change. I agree. And it's, you know, people, you know, what are you being a woman for? What do you mean? The women in my life were incredibly strong. You know, my great-grandmother who brought me up while my nan was working three jobs a day, raising to raise her grandson and look after her mother after she's already brought three children up on her own after she, you know, her husband walked out. My female role models were stronger than most men I've ever come across. But yet we still use stuff like, you know, what are you being a girl for? Completely. And Melissa, so you were a guest on the Power Hour recently and you talked to me a little bit about meditation and about therapy. And I was actually surprised to learn from Melissa that she learned to meditate because I think I'd always assumed that if you meditate, you just have to figure it out, sit down, close your eyes, you know, breathe, you know, try to not think about anything. And I've got a lot of energy. I'm a fidgety person. So I was always like, oh, meditation is not really for me. But um, Melissa told me that you actually can learn to meditate. There's more to it than that. So so why and when did you first start meditating? Um, well, if, can I first say, 
I just thought in the spirit of everyone being really open, I would just put out there right now that I feel like I, I actually was crying. It's starting to cry, Stephen, when you were just talking. And I thought I would just say, I just feel like I re need a really good cry right now. I don't know if anyone else does. So I just thought I'd tell you because we're being really open. And actually, we were just chatting, Chris and I. And... Uh, he was telling me about his grief days. And I just wanted to start off by saying, if anyone, I'm hope, hopefully not too many of us, I hope lots of us are dealing with it, but for anyone who, who needs a really good cry, I hope you get a chance to have one today. I, I literally would like to go home and have a good cry. And I, so I wanted to start by saying that story. That wasn't the answer, but Do you know you, what? I've, I've been waiting. Let it out, Melissa. I've literally been over here going, oh God, I'm going to have to talk in a minute. I feel like a really good cry. Do you know what though? Something I picked up on that you said, Chris, was uh, I felt, you know, I was so happy and in such a good place that I felt like I could cry my eyes out. Yeah. And what, you know, that's a phrase that most people go, that doesn't make sense. You were so happy yeah. and content and felt so good in yourself yeah. that you could cry. Yeah. which I think says an awful lot about what it takes to be, you know, authentic with how you feel and in touch with your emotion. Yeah. Don't wait till it spills out. Yeah. Um, so I learned to meditate, yeah, but I would say I'm still learning. And actually, maybe one of the reasons I'm feeling quite shaky and, and not myself at the moment this week is I've, I've um, slipped off the meditation bus this week. <laughs> so maybe it's a really good, you know, it might be hashtag mental health awareness week and I might be posting lots about it and, and doing all the things that, um, sharing a lot of things, but sometimes stuff hap life happens and you don't get to have your daily or twice daily meditation check-in. Um, and I think that's maybe what we all want to say is it's it's great that there's this week and it's absolutely amazing i've i've never had an email before from a glorious great big building in london saying would you like to come and talk about what makes you tick what makes you fall apart um because we really care about it and that's the ethos we want to build our building on so i think that's amazing um but yeah, I, I've fallen off the meditation bus. I don't know why. I probably, I don't know. This is probably the week I need it the most or the month that I need it the most because I've got quite a lot going on, um, as we all do all the time. But I would say, oh, yeah, I learned, I started to learn to meditate. I always forget how old I am. Do you ever get to your 30s and you're like, forget? <laughs> Not that I'm ashamed of getting old, love getting old, but I cannot remember. Um, I'm 33, so, yeah. Hang on, I need to work it out with my sister. So my sister's almost 40. We learned to meditate for her 30th birthday in Sydney, which sounds like really woo, but um, I was actually already in China <laughs> with an ex-boyfriend, and she was traveling the world because she decided age 30 that she didn't want to be at home. So she went to Sydney. When she got to Sydney and on her way to Sydney, everyone said to her, you need to meet this guy that... Um, can teach you how to meditate. That should be the gift you give yourself for your 30th birthday. And I was in China and she said, she got on Skype with me one day and she was like, I've met him, I've met him. And she had a boyfriend. So I was like, well, who is she talking about? And she went, I've met him and you've got to come and I'm, I'm waiting. I've like bumped us, like I've stood outside his house and I've like begged him to, to take us on. Anyway, it all sounded really weird. It sounded really weird and all I wanted to do was like sit on the beach and go to Bondi Beach and surf and all these things. And I definitely aged, so I would have been 22, didn't think I needed meditation. Um, was a big fan of yoga, was a big fan of eating well, loved my sleep, did all the things that I thought were the ticking checklist for looking after yourself. And I was like, I'm so young, I'm not stressed yet. I was also on a sabbatical. Um, anyway, I totally needed it. I totally needed it. And I rolled my eyes and I think I might have even said, if you're paying for it, I'll do it. Cause you know, I'm an annoying little sister and I was, didn't have a job. Anyway, long story short, I went, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I thought, what can I do? What am I going to do when I get back to London? I definitely always need people to help me keep, stay on track. And that was 10 years ago. And now it's amazing to see, not least because of Chris Connors and, and everything and, and his team and the work that they're doing. But now you can, especially us you know, living in London or living outside of London coming in, we, we do have great access. And with social media and with apps, we can all do it. So I feel super lucky that I got to learn how to meditate in the dream scenario of a wicked house and manly beach and all this kind of stuff. But the first thing he actually taught us was you need to learn how to meditate um, you know, on a, on a bus, you need to learn how to meditate in the noisiest of situations. You, um, you need to learn to meditate for all the reasons that you think you're too busy to learn how to meditate. And I mean, Chris, you can say all this much better than me, but it's, it's, it's weird that the week I needed it the most, I've fallen off the wagon. And I think the important thing is, is that it's just, it's like literally like one eye close away, you know? Um, and 
Yeah, did I answer your question? I think so. <laughs> I think so. I was going to ask you another one, but I don't know if we've got time. No, really. sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. I am going to ask you... Where did you learn to Cut! <laughs> I am going to ask you, this is my cook? second question, because you are a chef and a cookery author. But it is still me. Okay, yeah. Yes, it is right. still you. So, you know, I think when it comes to food and nutrition, you know, I'm a trainer. People talk a lot about fitness and, and food and nutrition and going hand in hand, physical health. But does the food that we eat also affect our mental health? Because surely physical and mental health, we, you know, it's, we're the two aren't separate right we're just one yeah it, it is we are one we're completely one and it can affect you in loads of different ways I'm sure you all know when like, I always think Christmas is a lovely time if we if we're able to get back to our families how nice it can be to get back for that home-cooked meal and that gathering together in the same way you know when you're really deeply hung over good food um I, I actually, I wanted to make these t-shirts and then I realised, you know, there's too many clothes in the world and too many going to landfill. But I wanted to have t-shirts that said, you know, like, soup saves your soul. Because I, whenever anyone asks me to speak, I basically say, and I don't actually have a soup range out, though I would like to have one, so I'm not plugging soup here, but <laughs> I think soup is the best thing you can do for yourself. And if you can, um, you know, put some soup on to simmer and then meditate while it's simmering you know, double, uh, double whammy. Um, but it can be so many things. The, the food we eat, the sugar levels, the alcohol levels, all of the things, the caffeine levels, um, they might affect us in the first place that we don't sleep that well. And then when we don't sleep that well, we may, might make different decisions that we would have otherwise done if we'd slept well. Conversely, when, you know, when we're run down, there's foods that we can eat that completely can boost us. Um, the French, I mean, the French, uh, I think it's actual law. Any French people here? So I'm just going to state some laws that I think are right. I think it's actual law that they have to take a lunch break and go out for lunch. And aren't they subsidised as well? So they get lunch... Any French people? Anyone? Am I saying the right thing? Go they, for it. they are encouraged to have a proper one-hour lunch break where they leave their offices um, and they go and eat a great meal, step away from their laptops um, and don't look at their phones. So I really believe from whatever you choose to put... I think whatever you put in your mouth enjoy it, um, take the time to enjoy it, and um, why is no one stopping me? And, um, and, and it can be the first thing. I would genuinely say meditation and making soup are pretty much free, right? So forget like going and getting an amazing pair of leggings, going to like the hottest exercise class, whatever it is, even booking a holiday, it might just be that you need to sit in your house by yourself, make some soup and meditate. Love that. Let's do it. Thank you, Melissa. I, I, I'm an advocate for soup as well. And soup. bone broth. Oh, God. Our How mutual friend. No, but our mutual friend. <laughs> I would like to. Um, our, our mutual friend, actually, Gizzy Erskine, yeah. helped me through. I had really severe complications after gastric surgery. And um, she, she sent me loads of um, bone broth over because my yeah. stomach was paralyzed. And it, it helped me through one of the most difficult periods of the last five years for me. And you know what, my friends, I'm at the age now where everyone's having a baby and I just don't send them flowers or jumpsuits and onesies. I send them that same broth delivery that you got. So that's wicked. <laughs> yes, all making soup. And I love I loved cooking, I love being in the kitchen and I agree. I think sometimes just even the completion of something, do you know what I mean? So like having a bunch of ingredients and having to prepare them and do this and then having something that you've completed and accomplished, I like that feeling of like, I finished that. Because loads of things never feel finished, but that, yeah, always feels finished. Um, and Chris, I'd love to talk to you. You mentioned uh, briefly, Melissa, about people being busy and hectic and the world demands a lot of our time. And that's something that I hear a lot from people within different, within different um, industries is, I'm busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm time poor. Adrienne, you don't know my life. I can't get up and go running at five. I've got this and this job and I've kids. And it's like, we're all on these busy schedules. We're all time poor. So what would your advice be when it comes to things like uh, meditation, um, not just meditation, but even just mindfulness for people who are time poor? Well, I think, you know, there's lots of little kind of tricks that you can have. So, uh, you know, we could do something here now if you wanted to, but we'll, we'll, yes. we'll yeah, <laughs> we, we did. So the last time Melissa and I did a panel, uh, it was, uh, we, we ended up, actually, I got everyone up, started shaking and breathing quite dramatically. So I'm not going to get you all to do that. <laughs> I'd like to sort of dispel this myth that meditation is a thing. You know, it is, it's not really a thing. It's, it's a really a perspective of your life. You know, it's just shifting perspective. It's actually very easy to do. It's challenging to practice. You see what I mean? So in some way, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I, when people say, I, oh, yeah, I can't meditate, quite often there's a great fear to begin because when you stop and you're really still, actually, you can really see how 
kind of crazy our mind is, right? How many people, if would honestly write down what they thought today, would look at that page and go, oh, okay, I think I'm a little insane, right? Our thoughts are insane kind of neural networks in our brain, right? One of the most important things is that we, we must not always believe what we think, really, truly, right? Really, really, truly, actually. And meditation is a great tool to help us disengage from that thought process. So what I would say, there's little tips, things like, you know, if you really want to just sort of like micro-meditate, mm -hmm. I have a one that's the classic one, we call it 2-4. It's you breathe in, two, and you breathe out, four, right? Simple as that, one second meditation. Like that, simple. That, for me, is transformative. If you do that along your day, trust me, you don't need to find 10 minutes. You just keep doing two fours, that will change your whole day dramatically. Brilliant. And when it comes to organisations, employees, obviously this building are, you know, doing, going to be leading by example, doing an incredible job. But do you think that employees have a bigger role to play? So how could they take more responsibility, I guess, for encouraging their employer, uh, their staff to have better mental health practice? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I coach a lot in businesses and I work a lot with leaders of businesses. And for me, you know, mental health in the workplace, no matter how you work, is probably the number one issue. I mean, if the workplace is the pit of stress, let's face it, right? It's the place where we get stressed the most, right? Apart from our relationships and home and kids. And, no, no, but, but the workplace is really, really a tough place. And if any kind of leader of business isn't thinking of the mental, physical, emotional, purpose-based health of their employees, they've got an issue coming on quick. And I would say any good leader wants to be thinking about that. If you've got a team or a tribe around you, always think about how are they? Like, check in with them, right? Check in with your people around you. How are you doing? You know, on many levels. And if they give you a good response, then you're in a good place. It's really simple. But actually, in business, whew, it's a lot of work to do that. And it's, we, we really need it now. Yeah, really. well, as we heard at the beginning, you know, this building, they're doing some incredible yeah. things. So having the retreat area where they're going to have, you know, meditation, mindfulness, Pilates, yeah. yoga. There's nutrition experts there. They're going to have the um, the market with different food stores. There's even an outside terrace area. Yeah. So all of those kind of things. And the thing that I liked the most, I guess, is the bike park. Mm. So there's a bike park downstairs. There's going to be space for 1,700 bikes. There's showers. There's lockers. So just really encouraging the employees and people that work here to make their commute um, active by either running or cycling and I think for people who are you know time poor as many people are then I think commuting is something you you have to do anyway so yeah. why not kind of use it as a way to get active yeah I mean this uh you know from what I've what I understand about this building it's really pioneered to have a well building in the city to really understand what that means you know a building that cares for you it's kind of like that right you never think about that but how many people spend all day in an office right Okay, if you think you, how your day is, you know, the amount of light absorption you have, the amount of, uh, let's call it air pollution that you live in, it's a lot, a lot of toxicity in spaces. I don't want to say that too much because you'll never go back to work. <laughs> but what I'm really into is what I would call the consciousness of spaces. It's kind of like to look around you and go, all right, so these buildings have natural light coming through. You know, they have spaces that you need to get off the desk. You need to get away from the computer a lot. It's not like, oh, I'll go to the gym after work. It's like 50 minutes on, 10 minutes off every hour. If you do that, your, your working day is completely different. Your productivity is better, your brain's better. Those are the things I think a building like this is going to have, right? Yeah. So to me, that's to celebrate. And there's not a building like this in, uh, in London. Yeah. There is in America, but not, not here. So it's, it's a pioneer. It really is. And it's like, it's, honestly, I feel like they've thought of everything. I actually want to work here. I'm like, yeah. do you have communal workspace? Can I grab a desk here? I um, thought we were getting a space for, for coming here today. Yeah, we know. I thought that's part of the desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's not leaving. So, Melissa, you might not work in an office like every single day. And obviously your schedule changes one. a lot. And you're, yeah, she needs a, she needs a space. Um, and your schedule changes a lot. You're very busy. So when you are going around the city from different appointments and meetings, etc., how do you, yeah, commute, I guess? Do you cycle? Do you walk? No, I'm too anxious for a bike. Okay. Um, I like to walk. I like to power walk. Yeah. Um, I try, I'm really trying to not be on my phone when I walk because it's dangerous. And um, you've got to think about your other fellow walkers. I was going to say, it's really annoying for other pedestrians. I was going to well. say, you know, I'm a, I, I, I'm a friendly person. It is, it's really annoying. But you know, I'm really good at walking fast and being on your but phone. You know when someone's walking and they're looking at maps and then they just stop and you're walking yeah. behind and them. And you're, you're yeah. rear-ending yeah. them. In yeah, yeah. With, with their yeah, headphones on. To me. <laughs> it is really annoying. Um, yeah, so I, I power walk. Um, 
But a lot of the time, um, yeah, I'm working from home in my own head. So I make myself go out. Um, and I do that, Chris, I do the 50 minutes on. And even, you know, like I'll go make a tea or I'll go to the loo or sometimes, you know, we're all suffering now from like, has anyone noticed their neck very much aging? Like we're Apparently it's called neck. tech neck. Yeah. Neck. So yeah. I yeah. Need to hope you guys here are going to sort out some sort of lovely... Neck, neck braces for everybody? <laughs> yeah, I was going like to say neck braces. All those people who work in that building. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, tech neck. And then, yeah. I, I mean, I got my first pair of glasses this year. And I realise now, when I really think about how much time I'm looking at a blue screen or I'm squinting and I'm like... And I, sometimes, anyone else actually get um, repetitive strain injury? Did I say that right? RSI from doing all this? Anyone? Oh, yeah. Men, ladies, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I try and make myself go out. And actually, if I can just do a quick shout out to, um, have you heard of Mental Health Mates? Anyone heard of Mental Health Mates? It's Bryony Gordon, who wrote an incredible book called um, Mad Girl, um, which will just, you know, I literally could cry just saying Mad Girl. It's such a good book. Um, she asked me to be an ambassador for Mental Health Mates. And so have a little look up if you would, if you would like to talk to someone, but perhaps you haven't found the right therapist or you can't talk to your friends about it yet or whatever it is, mental health mates, you just look up your nearest one and they meet. So um, I go to the one in Victoria Park, the next one's the 9th of June and you just meet by the Pavilion Cafe and you walk and you talk and you can literally not say anything if you want um, and you just do a lovely um, loop of the park. Anyway, I think that's a really good thing to do and so obviously I don't, that doesn't happen every day but I make myself go out and do my own little mini walk and talk um, and I also know for my mum when my dad died, um, you know, she's, she's, um, super catholic and you know she found the whole his whole illness like very very tough and she was in denial and then when he died she just didn't really know what to do because she was his carer too and the only thing that got her going was one she started walking my dog she said she hated dogs but she started walking my dog and that got her out the house that was the first thing and then she started going on something also called walk and talk which was set up by the local hospice as just a place to be so i think the power of walking i mean there's so much pressure. I mean, I have fallen into like the, the, um, the, I've like loved really high intensity workout classes. I love yoga. I love Pilates. I love dance, like Beyonce classes. If anyone's been to those, they're brilliant. But sometimes just a really good walk is about all a lot of us can manage. Um, and I really always recommend keeping a pair of shoes that, you know, I can see some of you wearing very nice heels. Always keep a pair of shoes near the front door because if you want to help yourself out a lot, I think just walking out of the house and even doing a loop around the block is a good thing to do. And I know on shit days, the last thing you want to do is face anyone. But that's really my first port of call for therapy, you know, that walk. Yeah. Amazing. How good is having a dog for that? Isn't it? It's yeah, so good because even have on to the wait. days when you really don't want to do anything and you feel that you're at absolute worst, and you know, you, it, is a, it is a fight to get up and get out. You can't look at that face, you know, once you've got something else to nurture, you know, you might not want to take care of yourself, but you can't look at that face and go. Yeah. And yeah. also you don't want them to do anything in the uh, ass. So. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Pr protective yeah. measures. For reasons as well. The face, of, the face of a dog holding it in is like the most <laughs> pitiful puppy eyes ever. <laughs> but no, I think there's something to be said for that. I think that there's, there's, there's steps that can be taken before people are ever given a prescription. You know, you spoke about food and mental health. I think diet and, and being more mobile, consciously making an e effort to be more active are two things that everyone should do before they ever consider medication. Yeah, it's a big issue. I mean, I think now, you know, the kind of quick fix mentality that we have that medication could sort us out. I think it's very rare we actually really need medication. Uh, I know certainly for myself, you know, having cured my own PTSD, post-traumatic stress from bombs and all sorts of situations in Belfast, I could have reached for medication so many times. And actually meditation was my medication and, and continues to be. And so, you know, I take a lot of that. <laughs> I probably overdose a bit on that stuff. But, but for me, it's, uh, it, it's really from the preventative place. I was just writing an article recently about how wellness in this big world of wellness is for us preventative to any form of disease or dis-ease in our life and that's what it's really about it's not treating something and does shouldn't really be treating it's preventing stuff for us that we don't need to have in our life yeah i completely agree ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So I'd love to talk to you all about the Power Hour concept, and especially, Melissa, as you said about, you know, sometimes maybe on a bad day, you know, just getting out the front door is actually, can be hard and can be a struggle, but it's it's so beneficial. So for anyone who doesn't know, for me, the concept of the Power Hour is essentially I've created um, a morning routine. It's an hour before the rest of the world wakes up and needs my time and attention, before my WhatsApps, before my emails, before my son wakes up. So it is quite early. I am an early bird, um, and I can't, yeah, I love it. I get up early okay but for me, I know it's not for everyone but yeah my power hour is between 5:30 and 6:30 in the morning woo so um I guess I'd love to hear from you all on whether you a have a have a structured you know a structured morning routine what it is because when it comes to you know people who are suffering from mental illness I, th- I know that having a structure having a daily practice having a good framework can be super super valuable like a really great tool for them but it's yeah, really difficult maybe to just get started in the first place. So, Chris, do you want to go first? Do you have a morning routine and how I do. does it impact your mental health? I do. Just a point on that, though, as well, I'll, I'll come to that, is that, you know, the morning, you know, neuroscience will tell you that the first steps that you make in the morning, whatever they are, certainly your thought patterns, will generally dictate your day. So if you're going to reach for the phone and get completely stressed about an email in the first five, ten minutes of your morning, trust me, your day, the pattern of your brain will work that way. It repeats that loop of thinking, right? So... Personally, from well, it depends where I am. So I'm because <laughs> I'm in London. In I live in Ibiza. So because that that's a different kind of morning. But it's uh, no, no, I'm not that kind of guy. No, I go. It's just because I go to the ocean in the morning, but I don't do that. And <laughs> I swim well, in the why? ocean. Why? Why do you do that? So in Ibiza, what? what oh, what I do? What I do in Ibiza? Yeah, you go. Why is it different? The, yeah. yeah. Well, I wake up. I'm, I mean, I I meditate every morning. That is just a given for me. And like I said, the reason why is because I wake up with congested thoughts and dreams and all sorts of kind of what I would say is a real mesh of thoughts, you know, who doesn't wake up with that, right? All sort of bit discombobulated, all of that. So meditation just straightens me out first. I'll have, I always practice yoga in the morning as well. And I've been doing that for a long time. Um, again, that just helps me align and stretch out. It's really simple. It's not some big spiritual woo thing, although it is, but <laughs> it's not. Um, and uh, then I'll, I, I generally, in London, I go and I have cold showers. If anyone wants to change their life, have cold shower therapy every single morning, 100 percent right yeah i only found out by way of cryotherapy but it bloody works it works it really works if you want to change your the way your brain works in the morning have cold showers all right here's a tip start with a hot shower (laughs) start hot and start hot and then just begin to cover your head like rinse off your shampoo with cold water and then use your breath you do it do it do it and that's my thing i mean it's for me it's like how i am i i don't eat a lot in the morning uh, i tend to hydrate a lot so i'm i'm a hot water lemon guy you know all of those kind of things that are going around i'm that um when i'm in ibiza just quickly um oh, i i live near the ocean so i i go and i swim in the ocean every morning that includes winter so that's like cold water stuff as well and i get into the ocean because for me there's nothing like nature that kind of sets your day. So even if you're at home in London, you know, even getting near a plant or something or a tree outside, nature... Sit next to the plants. Yeah. <laughs> hug your plant, right? I mean, you know, we're getting to that stage soon, you know. I was called a tree hugger 20 years ago. I've actually never hugged a tree, but I'm kind of thinking we're getting there. Um, no, but Ibiza involves the ocean so and sun and light. So, you know, again, if a day like this, we're in London, we're light deprived. You know, we need natural light in our system to avoid depression. It's a big issue here. It's actually what we're doing at B-Box. We're looking at how we bring light into spaces so that people benefit from natural light, not sort of just all flickering light, as we call it. Uh, I don't think you've got them in here. <laughs> I hope yeah, not. Lots of You're a well-building holder. But yeah, that's what I do. Brilliant. I'm so I'm nodding along to so many of the things that you're saying. The the cold water therapy is big in our house. Trust yeah. me, my husband is obsessed. And the science behind it, he's telling everyone, you know, it's apparently good for your lymphatic system, yes. your energy systems, your um, immune system. It's going to prevent you being ill. All of these things, and it does seriously wake you up, obviously, because it's cold water. But it yes. just gets the the blood pumping around as if you've had as if you've already been for a run and had yeah. a cof- uh, had a coffee. Big anti aging one, you know. I'm actually 106. So <laughs> You see? Sold. Um, 
How about you, Stephen? Do you have a morning routine and does it impact your, your mental health? Um, it's really difficult for me to have any sort of consistent routine because sometimes I work late, sometimes I have to work from early till late. Um, you know, if I'm doing gigs at the arse end of the country and I've got to come back to London afterwards because I've got breakfast TV in the morning, it's, it's really difficult to maintain any kind of consistent routine. But what I will say is if I ever... Anxiety is something I've suffered with since I was that big. You know, some of my earliest memories are going, man, I've got a stomachache. And I never had a bellyache, I had anxiety, but I didn't have the tools or the language to explain that. And if I ever notice my anxiety creeping into my life again now, it's in the mornings. It's always at its worst when I wake up and it's horrible. And what I used to do was if I woke up and noticed it, I'd lay there for as long as I could trying to rid myself of it. What I worked out was if I wake up and the second I open my eyes, I get out of bed, goes away. Changes the course of my day completely, which is bang in line with what you were saying. And yeah. it wasn't something I realized there was a science to. I just know for myself, if I get up and get out of bed, I get rid of it. If I don't, it's with me for the majority of that day. Yeah. Can I just add into what you're saying as well? You know, you can't think your way out of your thoughts. So important to know that. I'm going to use that. Right? You cannot think your way. You know, what thinking really does is just produce more thinking. Mm. Right? Yeah. But so you, breaks the you're lying in a sort of a thought loop. You're just lying there. I'm thinking my way. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get out of this. Nothing has happened. You have just been lying there. <laughs> right? The reality is you've just been lying there. And <laughs> you're having a realization right now, aren't you? He's having a moment. Like, that's 20 years of like, oh, God. Yeah, I would say shift your perspective. Get out of bed quick. Yeah. And Quick. the thing you said about there, you know, movement and for me it's running, but not, you know, some people it's yoga or swimming in the sea, but actually um, a guest on my show, he said, you know, if you have an animal, if you have a pet, a dog, a cat, two of the things you mentioned, when they wake up and they've been asleep all night, the first two things, one is movement, so they'll stretch hence the downward dog, the cat stretch, and also daylight, they will find light. So if there's a beam of light coming through the curtains onto the floor, your cat or your dog will go into that light. So it's like we need to, yeah, like I guess it's innate in us to move and to find light. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, we're completely dedicated to that on a metaphoric and physical way, yes. Yeah. Melissa, how about you? Morning routine, tell us all about it. Um, well, actually, my, my, um, my most like uh, moment is in the evening. Mm -hmm. I get it the most in the evening. So I used to, um, but I sort of apply my evening. Do you want me to talk morning? They're basically no, the same, but they're like the same, but opposite okay. um, sort of thing. Same, so same, but what different. I, what I do is, and like give me, just shut me off, like turn my mic off when I'm going on too much. But I've got, um, anyone else a Virgo in here? I, I used to make excuses for my Virgo. And I was like, oh, I'm a real control freak. I like things, I like to, I'm a perfectionist and all this kind of stuff. And then I sort of said to myself, now I'm a recovering perfectionist. But what I do love is I love making lists. And sometimes I sort of like make lists as to why I shouldn't make more lists. But that's another story. But one good thing, when you're in the depths of stuff um, and you can't think straight, one, you should obviously meditate. We know, we know that. Uh, and make soup. We know that. Um, and either get a dog or go on borrow my doggy and borrow someone else's dog. That's a really good thing. If you can't have a dog full time, um, you can definitely borrow someone else's. That's a good, it is called borrow my doggy, isn't it? What I do is I've got these lists and I've got like, I have um, YouTube clips of really funny things. Um, I think that, I'm not gonna tell you what they are because I probably think they're funny and you don't think they're funny, but there's like a collection of things that I find funny. No, stop it. Okay, later maybe. But anyway, I've got like 30 second ones because sometimes I just can't even bear to open my laptop. So I've got my 30 second ones for like a quick fix. Then I've got ones that I can sort of, if I, you know, a lot of people say definitely don't get anything digital out when you're feeling anxious. But sometimes I'll just fall asleep to something comforting. Um, you know, oh, I don't really want to tell you. I might tell you in a minute what it is. But, and then I have songs I listen to. So another thing I listen to is I've got like a playlist of songs I go to sleep to or wind down to. Because I actually think it's more important than just when, it, when the anxiety hits you or when you're starting to feel really crap. It's about recognizing the warning signs. Like I know what mine are. Um, so I've got like a wind down routine for falling asleep. And then I agree with you. In the morning, I've got basically, I just put some garage on in the morning. Uh -huh. <laughs> the really cheesy garage. Yeah, it yeah. goes straight on first thing. Yeah. Um, and that can, that can be enough to get me in the shower. Because sometimes you don't want to get in the shower. So that can be enough to get me in the shower. Um, and then I'll play like, an, then the next song's going to get me down the stairs. So I think 
curating like little helpful things, what I'd call investments to myself. So it's having a playlist that I know is going to make me feel good, having a little watch list, keeping books next to you or something really lovely next to you. I actually once, this is so crazy, I bought a book um, somewhere. It was a secondhand book, but it didn't look secondhand, it looked new. And there was a letter in it that someone had written her son, and she was obviously ill. And it was, it's, I won't say it now because it's heartbreaking, but someone's letter in the book about being strong and so on. And I keep that letter. I have no idea who it is. There's no names in it. It just says, love, mum. And I keep it next to me. And I have no idea who these people are, why it landed in that book. It was like a crime novel. It was like a crappy book that I read. It wasn't like a big, amazing life Bible book. Um, and I just keep nice things next to me. And I make my bedroom sacred, apart from the fact that my dog's in the bed with me. It is a <laughs> sacred space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the morning, find, find what your thing is. If it's garage or whatever it is, you know, definitely start your day off well like buy that expensive coffee buy the nice things in the morning that set you off on the right tone yeah lovely thank you and I think you know as you said you know the morning is you know it's like a, I believe personally you know when you're waking up out of that dream state and you're you're coming out of that consciousness it's a really really important time and I do yeah. think if we're infiltrated as we all are now with media and thoughts and maybe tweets maybe emails maybe just even you know the demands that we know are, th are coming I think if you start the day as you yeah. said in that overwhelmed space yeah. you kind of just I think people just think it's normal now to feel like that all the time to feel the expectation of the to-do list, the WhatsApp group that you haven't replied to, the, the maybe the, you know, the stuff for school, like all the different things. I think it's like we need to remind ourselves and break that to say that's not normal, yeah. to feel that all the time and to feel that when you've just been awake for 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to add into that, I mean, one of, the, one of the things I notice whenever I've been working with people um, and, and helping them get mental breakthroughs and uh, uh, do well in life, I always say to them, you know, the morning time uh, is the time where they really need to shut off the news, the TV, every single part of that. Who watches the news in the morning? Do people watch the news in the morning? Never. Right? Yeah. So what so the thing is that what happens is we're in an unconscious agreement what we're engaging with. So we think we kind of aren't really absorbing everything, but we actually are. So we've invited stress into our life like no other. And that for me is such a trigger. You know, these little trigger points in the morning, if they're not self-care based, you know, you're into a real, real worrying kind of day. Yeah, you know, you're framing your day. Yeah. Who wants to wake up and think about Brexit? Right. Nobody. Um, so I guess we've, got talked, to, though. <laughs> we've talked about so many things. And, um, you know, I know you've already mentioned about the natural light and the fact, you know, in this building, there are three metre long windows. So mm. it's like so much natural light. And especially mm. at this time of the year, I think mm. it's brilliant. So that's a small, I guess, like a small environmental change, which is like natural light versus electric light, but yeah. it can have a big impact. So from each of you, um, my last question for you all would be, if people are going to make one change, what What's the one thing that they could change to have the biggest impact on their mental health? I know there's loads of things, but if you had to give them one that's going to give them the most value, what do you think? Chris, do you want to go Sorry. first? Yeah. I've got two, right? Is okay. that right? Of course. One is turn off all your notifications. <laughs> that Those notifications on the phone are probably the most angsty-making thing you could ever have. Turn them all off. Fa check your phone when you need to. But that's like a simple thing. I think for me, fundamentally, one of the greatest life-changing things I had that um, in my life was to really question, is what I th am thinking true? Right? Is it actually true what I am thinking? Because for me, when I was able to question, not criticize it, but just to question what I was thinking, I was able to see most of the stuff I was thinking and believing was not actually true. And my stress levels went down and down and down because I realized so much of what I'm thinking is my own creation. It's just my own soap opera. Yeah. You know, it's just some kind of, that's where anxiety lives. You know, anxiety and fear are different things. And also just remember to breathe, right? It's, I know that sounds a bit corny from a meditator, but it's, it's so important to realize that's what's going on. Yeah, I think everyone can probably relate to that catastrophizing, thinking of the worst possible thing that could happen and playing it out in your mind. And as you said, those thoughts are false. None of those things have happened. You're just imagining the worst case right. scenario. Right. I think we all do it. And it's really great to know that we all do it. So, yeah, thank you. Stephen? Mine would be, and I'm not someone who's learned to meditate yet, but I still think practicing the stillness is really really important and the first thing that we feel normally when we escape all of the different streams of stimuli stimulus you know this we're stimulated by so many things constantly the first thing you feel when you escape all of that is bored and maybe not 
in your day, but in your week, just find time to, to stay in that place without stimulation and, and practice being still t long enough to get beyond the feeling of boredom because it makes a hell of a lot of difference. I ended up in solitary for a little while, not in prison. It was for a TV program. <laughs> but um, it was, you know, and that was quite recently. Uh, it was only a year ago, two years ago. And, it, um, and that, that made a really positive change in my life because I realized that if you don't stop and stand still when everything is going on around you, you're constantly going to be attached to something that, or everything, which is the worst case scenario for me that's going on. And that's when I find my head starts spinning out of control. So just... Yeah, find some time in your day or week to, to be still. Brilliant. Melissa? Okay, I'll be really quick. I would, I'm going to say make soup. So literally, if you make it once every three months, just fill your freezer up. Um, so make soup. And if you're really nice, make it for someone else as well. And then um, my last one would be, um, based on what you just said about finding the time, I think we've all got so much time. We're just maybe putting it where it... putting it in the wrong places. So... I love, you know, to people please and like be, you know, I've got four godchildren. Like I want to be at every nativity play. I mean, like it's a full-time job going to all their things. But whatever it is, you probably got loads of friends. You probably there's always one more thing you could do to promote yourself at work. Uh, you know, all these all these things we want to achieve. And I would the thing I've really worked on this year is saying no, thank you to anything that didn't feel really right and listening to my gut. And I think when you meditate and when you take time to be still, you get to understand your gut. So I don't know who said this. Maybe you even said it. I don't know who it was, but I read someone on Instagram. It was like, if, it's, if someone asks you something and it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no. And so I try and remember that. Like if my gut just doesn't want to do it, I don't, I don't sit there and think, oh my God, quickly come up with an excuse. I just think, I just say, I'm so sorry, I can't make it quickly move on to something else yet you don't owe people explanations for every moment of your time it's your life so that yeah saying no and saying yes to to you yes i completely agree there's so much power in no and even not following it up with an excuse a reason an apology we feel like we have to it's just justify why but actually and it feels rude i think it's that british thing again of being like no i'd love to i really wish i could make but actually you can just say no and as you said, either move it on. It's very like no. But um, also, when you say when you say no to something, you are saying yes to something else. Every time you say no to that, you're saying yes to perhaps spending that time where you know where you want to, who you want to spend it with, and not out of obligation. I definitely, I'm a yes person, so I often say yes to things. I'm trying to do it less, especially if I feel like I'm only saying yes because it's an obligation. Because life's too short for that. It is Mental Health Awareness Week, but you know, it's not just about the week. It's not just about the month. And so, as I said, I'm interviewing another uh, mental health practitioner this week for the podcast. Hopefully that'll be out soon. And I think for anyone listening, for anyone in the room, but also as this show, you know, goes out, hopefully, you know, I want us to, to share it and reach as many people as possible. So for anyone listening, if they are struggling with mental illness, mental health, I think the key takeaway tonight is that you don't need to suffer in silence. You, there are so many different ways, different tools, different therapies available. So please do reach out. Do ask for help you aren't on your own you're not alone in it so yeah i really wanted to to end on that so thank you so much everybody for attending and for listening thank you thank you everyone thank you thank you, thank you. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com